I'm Steve Fisher. Eleanor Roosevelt said the purpose of life is to live it, to taste experience to the utmost, to reach out eagerly and without fear for newer and richer experience. Mary Peachin of Tucson, Arizona, has heeded that advice for most of her 80 years. When we spoke, she had just returned from one adventure and was preparing for another. She's my guest on Life Slices. Welcome, Mary Peachin, to Life Slices. It's great to be with you, Steve. I'm looking forward to an afternoon of adventure. So I'm going to start with, I hope, an easy question. Who is Mary Peachin? I think Mary Peachin might be an adrenaline junkie. It's getting more and more gray as the years pass. Can I ask, this is usually a rude question, but may I ask how old you are? I just turned the big eight zero. Wow! I know it's scary. You're and you're still junkifying out there. I am. What inspired you to be? We'll we'll, we'll change it to a better title. We'll call you an adventurer. What what uh, inspired you to be an adventurer? Well, I don't have it in my genes, that's for sure. And I'd like to give credit to my husband, who. Bought me my first bicycle, and I got on it and rode 500 miles across the state of Arizona. Uh, Bought me my scuba gear, and I flew around the world chasing whale sharks for 20 years. Fly fishing became our family sport, but I also like sport fishing, ocean sport fishing. So I give him a lot of credit. He's, He's a CPA, and he, six months out of the year, and I just traveled. That's very nice. <laughs> and you Did he go with you at all, or did you just go on your own? I mostly went on my own. He picked and chose. Um, you know, if I was doing something civilized, he might go along. It was outside of tax season, but he's very selective. Accountants aren't exactly known for adventurous lifestyles. Right. There's no adventure in working with numbers. Well, I guess I shouldn't say that. It depends on who you're working numbers for. If you're working numbers for the mob, there might be a lot of adventure in that. So when exactly did you start? When was that that he gave you your first bicycle? I I would say probably in my 30s. We took a bicycle. Our first bicycle ride was from Taos to somewhere near Santa Fe. And I I remember it well because the company had set out a lunch along the roadside and someone stole our lunch. And I went from that 45-mile ride to this cross-state Arizona. I mean, I didn't know how to shift a gear. My friends on that ride from Arizona were so nice. They never once said, Mary, did you ever think about shifting your gears to go faster or to make it easier to go uphill? I spent 12 hours. Every, I was the last one in, the first one to start. When we got to Nogales, I threatened to throw away my, give my bicycle to an orphanage. And then I went back and did it a second year because I learned how to shift. I thought, oh, this will be easier. I have to tell you, I felt the same way after the second year. So bicycling wasn't exactly your number one go-to adventure. Oh, no, we we ended up bicycling. One of our first trips was the island of Hokkaido in Japan, where we didn't know a restaurant from a hotel. We didn't know where we were going. We didn't know 
when construction on the road would be one mile or five miles. I mean, it was it, once you get outside of Tokyo, there there are no little displays of plastic food. You have to walk around and and look at what other people are eating and say, "This is what I want." So it, no, it was one of our great adventures, and then we bicycled all over the West and into Canada and most of the Canadian provinces. So yes, bicycle played a great role in in discovering different cultures and getting close to the people and exploring in a much more intimate way than you would on a bus or some kind of tour. Now, I understand that when you were in Hokkaido, when you, you brought that up, that you, because of the language gap, that you had cards printed. Boy, you did your homework. I did my homework. That was the smartest thing I did. I went to the University of Arizona. I asked them to print, my name is Mary. Can you point me to the nearest hotel or restaurant or whatever it was I needed? English on one side and Japanese on the other. And everybody in Japan was so nice. And this was like back in 85. They just drove us to the nearest hotel. You know, we followed them with our bikes. Or they'd say, follow those streetcars, and you'll find your hotel. It was um, it was an amazing adventure. Japan is very interesting for anyone who hasn't been there. Because I was there for three weeks in the 80s. It was the first time in my life I felt functionally illiterate. I, I could not understand any, even when they used English, I couldn't understand what they were saying because they would just use random English words because they liked the sound of it. And it didn't necessarily mean anything. So you're trying to figure out, well, why, why are you using tomato in a clothing store? But they love the word tomato. I recall one one time we were hitchhiking, and in order to hitchhike, we had to have room for the two of us and two bicycles, but the road was under construction. We had no idea how far. So I finally, I halted this sand and gravel truck, and they lifted our bicycles up, and I got into the cab, which was very ornate with all the fringe and velvet brocade, and the guy drove off. I had no money. I had no husband. I didn't know where we were going, and I just hoped that we would meet again. Pretty soon I heard this this driver giggling with somebody else. And I thought, you know, maybe he's riding tandem with another truck, and they'll drop us off together, which is what was happening. But it was it was kind of scary. I guess that you have had a lot of scary incidents in, in the items that you have engaged in over the years. When you call yourself an, an adrenaline junkie, I want you to describe the feeling that you get when you go on these adventures. I, I'm not sure how you describe adrenaline. It's your, your heart is pounding. You're into morphs or morphing. You're just loving the feeling, whether it's Jumping out of an airplane or off a tower, or my probably my most popular thing that people identify me with is I was a very early recreational shark diver. And recreational and shark diving aren't necessarily compatible <laughs> terminology. On your website, it said you chased and were chased by sharks. That's true. In fact, one of my last uh, experiences, I was charged by 
an oceanic white tip, which is not a friendly type shark. It's not someone you want to be in the water with. It came at me at 100 miles an hour, and my buddy was looking at this little microscopic shrimp that I couldn't see with a magnifying glass. It's how tiny it was. And so he was looking out. I saw the shark coming, and he looked up, and we were just paralyzed. And the shark, it was like a bear false charging me, which, you know, has also happened. Shark kept swimming at 100 miles an hour, and he was gone. So we just kept on diving. It So it just avoided you? Yeah, I just, I think we we were very, we were very remote in the Banda Sea. And I think maybe he had never seen divers before. And when he realized we weren't his kind of meal, he just took off. Well, yes, I can, I can see your adrenaline would be pumping with that. How old were you when you first dove out of a plane? 50. 50. And, and you... Were you by yourself or was it one of those tandem dives? Oh, no. I had a tandem guy. You know, they're supposed to break your fall and guide you down. It didn't exactly happen that way. I mean, a guy landed right on top of me with a face plant in the dirt. Oh, wow. Were you injured? No. You just got up, brushed yourself off, and went on to the next thing. That's right. Keep on trucking. I need three drinks to get on a plane, so jumping out of it is not my idea of fun. As a pilot, I teach fear of flying classes and have done so for some of my friends. How old were you when you took up flying? I would say I did everything, started everything in my 30s. My family, including my brother, are afraid of their shadows. So I, I did not come out of the same genetic pool as the rest of the family. Were you uh, notified that you were adopted at any point? No, and I'm and I've never done. I've never checked. Well, I'm go- I'm going to mention a few things that are on your website, and I want you to tell me about those experiences. It said you bungee jumped off a very high bridge in Australia. Which bridge was it? Where in Australia was it, and how high was it? This was in Cairns, Australia. It was A.J. Hackett's bridge. He was sort of like founder of bungee jumping or following the, the natives of Vanuatu who used to jump off cliffs with using vines around their leg. So I felt like I was going with the expert. And I gave myself permission to chicken out because I kind of pulled each leg up 10 stories high. And the gal in front of me chickened out. So that created a delay. I had lots of time to think about this. And I did bulk. You know, the first time they counted down three, two, one, jump. I was kind of frozen. And the next time I said, the hell with it. I'm I'm up here. I'm not walking back down. So I jumped. How old were you at that point? Probably in my 40s. And what did that feel like, bungee jumping? How does that compare to jumping out of an airplane? Actually, bungee jumping is more scary, but it's more comfortable. When the chute opens on a parachute, you get this G-force against your body. It's not real comfortable. At least my experience wasn't. Now, maybe it's supposed to be comfortable, and I just didn't have the right guy. So the, you bungee jumped, and what's that feeling like when you hit bottom Is there any trepidation that you're not going to go back up? I don't think you have time to think about it because 
the jump from 10 stories is only about 30 seconds, maybe. And then you're kind of swinging around, swinging around. They lower you into a boat and take you back to the ground. The worst part of the whole thing is they paint your weight on your hand. So fortunately, it was in kilos and I couldn't read it. Well, why do they why do they paint your weight on your hand? What what is that? So do? they can measure the length of the line they're going to drop you on, so you don't smash into the water, or you do smash into the water. Some people choose to uh, be dunked. I didn't. I didn't even know to do that. So you only did it that one time. Oh, you only have to do it once. I only did it because I was tired of people asking me. So when are you going bungee jumping, Mary? I thought maybe you'd want to travel the world going bungee jumping every place there's a deep canyon. No, and I, I only want to be with the best, no matter what I do. With flying, I wanted the best instructor, diving the best instructor. You know, I, I don't think you compromise. I sold my third of a Cessna Turbo 210 because one of my partners decided He'd sell to another partner. I didn't know about it. I had three, two other partners. And the new guy wanted to be a mechanic. I'm flying my family to Mazatlan for Christmas, and the brakes catch on fire. Now, I'm not a mechanical wizard, but I won't compromise on, on maintenance. So I called him up, and I said, you know, I'm selling my part, or you can buy me out. It was a painful decision because I was the ultimate free spirit. I mean, I'd go outside and I'd look at the weather. And if it was beautiful, I'd take off for Baja. Tucson is very close to the Mexican border. And I could make it all the way to Loretta nonstop. It was sad to lose my airplane, but it was the right thing to do. Now, I read somewhere that you, at one point, you were flying to Mexico and your father sent the, the FAA after you or something or called them to have you come back? The first time I, I went, my father did call the FAA and he said, hey, she's a grown woman. She's a pilot. And there's nothing we can do about it. It took me a while to get my parents to adjust to it. And my brother used to say, oh, you know, it's too dangerous there. You can't go there. And so, I, you know, I just stopped telling him when I did my first shark dive. I didn't tell them at all. And they read about it in the newspaper the next day because there happened to be a reporter from the San Diego Union on board and thought, you know, this smiley, gray-haired lady named Mary. I mean, the gig was up. I mean, how many Mary Tucson do these kind of things? I mean, everybody knew it was me, including my parents. How old were you then? You know, all of this came... You know, I was a, I was pretty much a, a mom and wife until I was about thirty, and then I let loose and didn't stop. I haven't stopped yet. What do your kids think of uh, all your adventures? My my children are very, very, very proud of me. I was not the best mother in the world. I took my son diving with thousands of hammerheads on his first dive trip, first and last dive trip. I, taught my daughter to scuba dive way too young and when she had to do mouth to mouth and a lake with no visibility that was the end of her scuba diving but now I, I and I've written this memoir of my adventures the kids are so proud of me I mean they there aren't too many mothers 
like me. Well, do they worry every time you go off on a, on a trip somewhere? They don't tell me. Although I noticed on the last trip uh, a week ago, we were fishing the Snake River during mud season, which isn't the nicest time of year. I wouldn't recommend it. And we noticed that they called a few times. And usually we don't hear from them unless they're commuting back and forth to work and they've got some free time on their hands. Now let's go back to the list of things you have achieved. You kayaked in Canada. And when I first read that, I thought, okay, that's not that big a deal. Canada is the kayaking capital of the world. What made your kayaking trip uh, challenging? I don't remember it being challenging. It was just pleasant. Where where did you go kayaking? Uh, I've been kayaking in a number of places. Are you are you referring to Johnston Strait with the orcas? I don't know. It didn't. Oh, but that sounds nice. So, how close did you get to the orcas? Close, close. They didn't knock us over, but they were around us, and that was a real thrill. Both orcas and humpbacks. That sounds exciting. And you you poked around coral reefs. All over the world. Oh, all over the world. It, it, did anything poke back? Um, I've been stung by pretty serious jellyfish once in um, Micronesia. Uh, when I came back to the boat, I, I wish it was a shark dive, a very world-famous shark dive called Blue Corner and Corner Plow. I told them I thought I'd been stung on the underarm by by a jellyfish, and they said, are you having trouble breathing? And that scared me. You know, it must have been a tiny brush because they do have some deadly jellyfish over there. And it took six weeks to recover. And when I got home, I called the Arizona Poison Control. And I said, what happened to me? And, you know, what kind of jellyfish is that? And they said, well, it's probably a box jelly, which is not the most dangerous jelly in the world. I mean, it's only maybe an inch long, but it's got long tentacles. The blue ring octopus, which became after my challenge of finding a whale shark around the world, I started looking for blue rings, which are the most poisonous crit- critter in the sea. And, and they're, they're only finger size, mostly seen at night. If you fl- flash your flashlight on them, their blue, sh- their blue circles start flashing at you. They're not very mobile. They don't have very big mouths. Um, at the time I wrote my book on the completed a guide to sharks, there was only record of one, one bite, and that was a little girl whose dad was doing research on him, and she stuck her finger in his uh, bucket. Why would you go looking for something like that? That just sounds like so- something you'd look to stay away from. Well, because it's so few people see them. <laughs> When I talk about blue ring, I mean, no one's ever, no one knows what I'm talking about. I wish I could show you an image of one right now. I mean, they're really beautiful little critters. And when I saw the movie get the award, you know, my octopus movie. My octopus teacher. I was thrilled. I was thrilled. But you're going from thumb size to arm size. And... Have you had encounters with octopuses or octopi? Uh, lots of octopus, but um, I wouldn't stick my finger near the mouth of a blue ring. I wouldn't stick my finger. Actually, octopus bite, so I wouldn't stick my finger in any of them. 
And I think key to this whole conversation, because we haven't even gotten to the subject of all the bears that I photographed. We're, we're coming to it. We're- You've got to always respect your environment. You're in their environment and you have to keep a distance that's comfortable for them as well as for you. Yeah, I, I'm guessing uh, most wildlife is not happy to see humans uh, anywhere nearby. I, our reputation precedes us. Now, you've said you've, you've flown, one of the things you flew were the ultralight flying lawnmowers. What are, are those like, have we seen those in James Bond movies? Um, well, I haven't seen all the James Bond movies, but it's, it's like having a an engine for a lawnmower. They are very light, and you can't go very far. You're you're in open air, and it's it, it was one of my favorite experiences. How high do they go? Not high, you know, maybe fifteen hundred feet, um, right over the desert, getting to view everything that I I love about the Sonoran Desert. Fifteen hundred feet is high enough. I I I start panicking after fifteen feet. <laughs> you need to take my course. We're going to talk about those bears because you stalked polar bears, according to your website. Polar bears, of all bears, are the most ferocious, aren't they? Well, they scare me. What kind of bears have you encountered? Well, my my favorite was a Kermode bear, which people aren't very familiar with. It's a cross between a black bear, such a recessive gene. So the black bear gives birth to white bears. And they're only in the Great Bear Rainforest in British Columbia. And it took me four trips to be able to find them. And I finally connected that if if you go there, when the salmon are spawning, you're more inclined to see a bear eating a fish along the edge of the water. And so that's what I was fortunate in being able to do. The polar bears are the great attraction in Churchill, Manitoba. And you're in great big tundra buggies where you're out in the tundra and the wheels are six feet tall and the bears like to chew on the rubber. So when they come up, you can see them, but you're you're protected. Just like with the grizzlies, there's a preserve that was created by Prince Charles where there, you know, maybe 80 bears. It's the largest in the, maybe the world, certainly in the country. And you're in a rubber boat. So you you can spare some distance. Now I've been with one guide who let everybody get out of the boat. And we were surrounded by 19 bears and we had to huddle together so we looked big, challenging the bears or threatening them. Except that's great. It's okay if you're a man, but if you're a woman, the nature calls. You're going where you're standing. or that's There is no choice. Are there any bears that are friendly? Not that I know. I haven't met one. Now, when bears are feeding, they're more interested in feeding themselves before prior to hibernation. So you feel a little little bit more secure. Not a lot, but I'm, I'm still afraid of them, and I still respect them. And I'm not real keen on being in the river when a bear is on the shore. Will they dive in? Yes, bears swim. But I think that they're, as I said, 
they, they could care less about me, even though they haven't told me. Lastly, let's talk about the 23 years that you were looking for and finally bumped into that polka-dotted sea monster. He's not a sea monster. The whale shark is the most gentle of all, all of the whales. Really? And they're big ones and they're little ones. And I finally found a migration in, um, was in the Yucatan. And there were, there had been these Tiburon Vienos for years that the fishermen knew about and finally told some woman to, told her about her. And she had dived with them in Italy. I flew there two years in a row. First year I wrote about it. I wrote for a dive magazine and reviewed different destinations. And that got published. I went back the next year and there were thousands of people there. And I thought, oh my goodness, I have to just, there are several times when I just wish I hadn't disclosed the destination. After I finally saw the whale shark, then I found juvenile species in La Paz, which is just, you know, right down the block from me. And not exactly in La Paz, Mexico. And that was a wonderful experience as well. But Iffy is very dependent on the weather because the Mexican officials close the bay of La Paz if it gets too windy or too rough. So after I finally saw the whale shark, I decided, you know what? It's time for me to get up and go to Africa. And that was fabulous. But what did you do in Africa? What kind of wildlife did you run into there? Just about everything you can imagine. But yeah, I'm, I'm guessing you saw a lot of big cats and other large creatures. The big five, the leopards, the rhinoceros, uh, the Cape buffalo, lion, no tigers. Tigers are in India. Now, I understand that rhinoceroses are fairly gentle. They have this very mean look to them, but they can be kind of docile, can't they? Well, I don't know who told you that, but I wouldn't stand in front of a. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, I don't. You don't want to charge them, but I've seen pictures or a, a video online of, uh, I guess, the, probably the gamekeepers or something, kind of cuddling with them. I, I think they're more placid. They're less aggressive than, for instance, the Cape buffalo, who's got a pretty ferocious reputation. So, where in Africa were you? I've been to Tanzania, Kenya. And in South Africa. What's still on your bucket list that you haven't achieved yet? Well, one of the, one of the things that's on my bucket list I'm going to achieve in a few weeks is going down the Amazon. In what kind of uh, vessel? You're not going to kayak, are you? No, I'm not going to kayak. I'm going to go on a small boat where everybody is required to have a vaccination. And there will be kayaking available and there will be dugout canoes and there will have some small boats. And one of the things I requested, because I, I have been there before, is I want to take my husband piranha fishing. And it's not because piranha fishing is lots of, uh, lots of fun and a good sport. I mean, you just take a line and put a piece of meat on a hook. But it, it's kind of thrilling. I brought jaw home. This is before I released all fish. Brought the jaw back to my dentist and said, I want my teeth to look like this. And he 
Now, piranhas, you certainly don't want to get your hand near their mouth. I took my son, and we actually went swimming in the same water that the piranhas were. But I made sure that we were not the first to jump off the pier. Probably a good thing. You go first. If you come back, I'll go in too. Right. Sort of like the bear. As long as you're faster than someone else, you should be okay. Any advice that you would give to people who want to do some adventure travel? Well, and, and I pretty much spell this out in my book, Sleeping Around. I tell them, you know, I didn't do this without overcoming some challenges. When I learned to dive, I was afraid to jump in the swimming pool. And now I'd like to say I'm one of the better divers that I know or have seen. But I had to go back in and tell the instructor, I'm afraid to jump in that pool. And when I learned to fly, I was afraid to solo. And my instructor told him, called the tower for permission to take off. And when you get that call, you go because there's a plane coming in behind you. So, I mean, I took off. Uh, so my first solo flight with tears running down my face. So there are hurdles that you need to overcome to be able to accomplish what you want. And by the same token, if you're not comfortable doing them, you've got to say, you know, this isn't for me. Like when I was climbing up the bungee steps, I said, gave myself permission to turn around and go back. Now I didn't, but if I did, that's okay. Some people get their thrills out of reading a great book, and that's fine for them. Where can people find out more about you? Uh, uh, your website is peachin.com? Peachin.com. It's huge. It's 25 years old. You can search any destination possible. And if I've written about it, it's there. And I've written, I think that I've written 10 books, my most recent one being inclusive it's not just fishing or just just diving it's inclusive of all my adventures and it's called sleeping around for a very good reason if you use the word shark or adventure you end at the bottom of the list on amazon (laughs) sleeping around got right up there at the top i can imagine although people might think they're getting something completely different right Exactly. Well, Mary, thank you so much. I appreciate your time and much luck and success and fun on all your upcoming adventures. If you enjoyed this program, please subscribe and like us on social media and wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Life Slices is produced by Beat Dick Ravens Productions, all rights reserved. Music courtesy of Fesleyan Studios. 